Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to the podcast, friends, and welcome to this season of Advent. Hope yours has started off well as we prepare and think about um, this world and awaiting the presence of Christ in our lives in lots of different ways. This Sunday's uh, sermon will be uh, one that probably may be a little hard to convey via podcast. I'm talking about a couple of movie clips that I'll put on the Podbean page, and then I am also, um, there's going to be a skit, uh, a children's skit in our worship service, so I'll do my best to try to convey what that will be about, but it may not have quite the same impact. But thanks for tuning in and listening anyway. We are starting with scripture, and so this week uh, we'll be looking at, we are looking at uh, the Gospel of Luke. This is chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, so let us listen. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord, but they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once, when he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter into the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there, was appeased, uh, there, then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remaining, and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, This is what the Lord has done for me, when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. So as I noted earlier, there will be a skit that is done by our children. It's kind of our version of a children's pageant at Urban Village. And the basic premise of the skit is there is a, a man who wants to experience the fullness of the Christmas season. And it's presented as going to these different kinds of travel agencies. So one of the travel agencies uh, essentially is telling him to just chill out, to relax, to not worry about anything at all, essentially to sleep it off. Another travel agent is just the opposite of trying to get the client to do everything as, as uh, to do everything about Christmas as much as possible to cram everything in 
into every hour of the day. And so the client is wondering, where can I go to really get a sense of the season? And there's somebody who comes along and talks about Jesus, of course, uh, and talks about how, uh, indeed, this is the way to really appreciate and get the most out of this season. So my question then after the skit will be, if you had to think, what was it that made you seek God? Kind of a big question. And at times, we may not really be able to answer it, especially if you've been essentially a person of faith your whole life. So you may not have thought about it, but maybe even when you grow up in the faith, there are moments where you seek God, you seek God's presence more perhaps times at times than others. What is it? Why do you seek God? What are you looking for? Of course, there'll be a variety of answers, peace, a sense of love, maybe forgiveness, And I would also bet that in some fashion, you're looking for answers. The client in this skit is looking for answers. Something that made this season, makes this season more than just getting away from it all, more than just the hustle and bustle of the season. Something this client wants to know and get some answers. What are the questions that we want answered? So it's not just seeking God, but it's also asking these really, pondering these really big questions. Why am I here? What's my purpose? Why is life so hard? Why does life seem unfair? All excellent big questions that we will spend our whole lives asking, doing our best to answer. No one will ever really have a complete and true answer. But we want answers, don't we? And we want them quickly. And in some ways, that's what this new sermon series is all about during this Advent season, coming to God for answers looking at others who had questions for God and seeking God to respond. And in this sermon series, we're framing this around a particular answer that God gives to us and also a particular response that others give when God comes to us. And this answer is simple. Yes. Or at least it seems simple, doesn't it? To come to God and hear yes. Especially, it can be challenging when we may feel like all we hear from God or the universe is no in our lives. So let's take a look at two individuals who are most likely asking these very important questions, Zechariah and Elizabeth. The scripture introduces them to us fairly quickly. It tells us that Zechariah was a priest. Now, a priest was a specially designated official who entered into the temple, the main house of worship, and would perform certain rituals uh, and certain sacrificial services. His wife, Elizabeth, also came from a priestly family. So the text makes it clear this is a God-fearing couple. It says they are righteous before God, that they live blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. So Luke wants to make it clear this is a God-fearing couple. And yet, they were childless. How often has this thought or prayer come across the minds of faithful people for centuries? Something along the lines of, Lord, I feel like I'm doing all the right things. I mean, I know I mess up, but still, don't. I get something for the effort. When I was in high school, there'd be times and I ran track and I would warm up before before, uh, a race that I was going to run and I would look at the other runners and I was a pretty active youth in my church. And so I would think, 
I am probably more faithful than the other runners. Therefore, don't I get some kind of advantage? Won't God quicken my pace? As I look at these other clearly heathen high school athletes, and obviously it never really worked out that way. (laughs) But I think that is a natural thought for us as, as followers of God. I think if we really step back and reflect and we realize it doesn't work that way, but still, these are the thoughts. I mean, we're, we're, we're here, right? We come to church. We, we give money to church. We do good things. Therefore, what do we get out of it? And so you can imagine, I think something maybe like this came across the mind of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They had a desire, no doubt. They had a desire for children. And the desire for children was particularly strong during this time in history. One scholar said that the bearing of children was considered a great blessing. It was essential for carrying on the family name, for perpetuating God's covenant with Israel, and providing oneself with care in one's old age. This was their retirement plan, to have kids so that they would take care of you. So you have to believe that Zechariah and Elizabeth, this God-fearing couple, kept coming to God with questions and wanting answers year after year after year. Lord, give us children. We want children. And it would not be surprising if they felt like all they heard was no. Has this ever happened to you? Maybe you've been told to just wait, to just be patient. Maybe you've been told that our time is not God's time and All of this is hard to take in because it's hard to wait. We went to Iowa for Thanksgiving and traffic was bad initially going out of the city. And so we'd been on the road for probably 45 minutes to an hour. And we were just leaving the city and going on the outskirts of Oak Park when our son from the back said, are we still in Illinois? (laughs) Waiting is hard. We want things to hurry up. We want answers. And when we come to God, certainly that's what we want too. We want answers. We want not just answers in general. We want specific answers. We want God to say yes in our own time. So what does happen when we come to God with these questions? That's a reminder that God is not a magic eight ball. We don't come to God and shake it up and then we will clearly get something from God. Coming to God for answers is perfectly normal and understandable. But prayer is more than anything about relationship. It's about staying close. It's about experiencing love and God's presence. It's about arguing and being in that close relationship. But I also believe that God does respond to our wonderings and our questions if we are patient and if we are silent and truly listen to see what God might be saying to us in lots of different ways. Now, when we read the scripture today, at first glance, there seems to be eventually an obvious yes to Zechariah and Elizabeth. God is faithful. God responds in dramatic fashion. We have Zechariah entering the temple. We have a Gabriel angel. We can look at this passage and see that God says yes. But what the text doesn't tell us is about the years of anguish that they must have gone through. Verse 7, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. So this yes coming from God isn't so simple. 
In fact, it may seem like the responses that they got from God were just the opposite. So both of the clips that I'm showing in, in worship this week come from the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, the more, I mean, this is not obviously a Christmas favorite, but there are some really interesting theological, I think, all kinds of theological lessons from It's a Wonderful Life. And so the first clip I'm going to show comes when, if you remember, if you've seen the movie, you know that uh, George has had this money, $8,000 that he needs, and it's been stolen to him by Mr. Potter. And so he doesn't know what to do. He can't find it. And so he goes to the bar. Uh, and so he's just sitting there and he begins to pray and he acknowledges that I'm not a a praying man, but he keeps asking, show me the way, show me the way. And then what happens is he starts to cry. People are asking what's wrong. And then if you remember the movie, he had, uh, George had uh, responded pretty sharply to his children's teacher and the teacher's husband is in the bar, finds out that it's George Bailey and then hits him in the mouth. And so George says, this is what I get for praying. I wonder if Zechariah and Elizabeth maybe felt a little bit like that when they kept praying and they kept saying, Lord, we want children. Lord, we want children. And all they kept hearing or all they kept experiencing was childlessness. And in this context, too, where having children is such an important thing, all they kept hearing was no, no, no. That's what they heard. That's what they thought they heard. But what sustains us when we wait? Eventually, God responds to them, and God responds to them in a a way that is certainly uh, joyful and hopeful, but they're also probably a little taken aback, like this is how God responds after we are already old and people probably won't believe that we can have children at this age. Elizabeth says in the message translation, so this is how God acts to remedy my unfortunate condition. And so it's surprising. God responds to them with a yes, but also very, very surprising yes. And they're a little taken aback and they can't quite believe it. So in a sense, of course, in this story, there is a a happy ending, but it's not quite that simple, is it? It's very surprising. So when we come to God with questions at wanting quick and easy answers. And when those quick and easy answers don't come to us, on the one hand, certainly we have to be open to the fact that it may take time for us to really understand and to see how God might be working in our lives and in the world. It might seem unfair. We may not see anything clearly tomorrow. And being patient is hard, no doubt. So what sustains us? What sustains us when we come to God and we want answers? And if we don't seem to get the answers that we are desiring, if they are coming to us in different kinds of ways, what sustains us in that? Well, I think what sustains us in the fact that, and this is why we celebrate the Advent and Christmas season, what sustains us is that God has already answered us, that God has already said yes to us. God has said yes to us in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. When people were asking, and when we asked today, Lord, are you out there? Do you exist? For those who follow Jesus, we can say that God has already said yes to us. And hopefully that sustains us in the midst of the waiting, in the midst of asking our own questions. We can draw, hopefully, comfort and strength from the fact that God has already been faithful, that we have already 
been redeemed. And so as we continue to be open to what God might be saying to us, looking for that surprising different kind of yes for our own lives, that we can draw comfort from the fact that God has already said yes once before, and that God will say yes once again. And what might also happen is that sometimes the yes that we hear from God might be from an answer that we didn't think was God's response to us in the first place. So what do I mean by that? Well, here's the second clip from It's a Wonderful Life. So at the end, again, if you know the movie, you know that uh, Clarence, the angel, takes George and shows him what life would have been like if he had never been born. And George comes out of this uh, dreamlike state or whatever this uh, Clarence did with him to travel back in time. And George comes back to the present and... Bert, the police officer, finds him, and George still is unclear about uh, whether Bert is a friend or whether he's still in this dreamlike state. And then George is ready to fight the police officer, but then George learns something. He, he sees that his mouth was bleeding, and he remembers. He remembers that his mouth Bleeding means that he's alive. This was a response, as he interpreted it, it was a response to prayer. His mouth bleeding reminds him, I'm alive. I have life. I have life all around me. That which he thought was a no from God turns out, in a sense, to be God's yes. That he has life. That he has people who know him. And for us today, as we see this story, I would say that it reminds us that we are known by God. That's the question that George asks. Do you know me? Do you know me? And Bert says, of course I know you. And this is, I think, God's response to us, too. We ask these big questions. We come before God saying, Lord, are you there? Lord, show me the way. Lord, this is what I deeply desire. And sometimes we hear silence or maybe we don't hear what we want to hear. And this can be unbelievably frustrating. Like Zechariah and Elizabeth, their whole lives, no doubt, were asking this question, desiring children. And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen. Their whole lives, this happened. And so not only the pain that they had to feel, but also the pain of Perhaps others judging them, saying, well, clearly the Lord does not work in your life. It was as if, no doubt, that was pouring salt on their wounds. And eventually God responds in a surprising way. And we have to have faith that God will respond to us with a divine yes for us individually, for us as a society, as we wait and look And we draw comfort from the fact that God has already said yes to us once before in Jesus. And we also draw faith and hope and comfort in knowing that the things that may spark pain in us today may be the part of our own healing eventually. That's a really hard lesson to take in. But I hope and pray that we can live into this, that God's yes to us means that we have life. It means that there will be bloody lips, but 
those lips, those bloody lips can also be sources of healing. It's part of God's yes to us through Christ. God says yes to us. That is the ultimate answer. So in the midst of the silence that we interpret, may we remember of God's affirmation for this world and for you and for me. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening. And again, I hope that um, you are having a sacred and holy time of reflection and prayer during this Advent season as we wait in anticipation. For some, the season of Advent and Christmas is a difficult one, and so if you're at that place, I hope that you can find a faith community, or as always, you can reach out to me, chris at urbanvillagechurch.org is my email address, and on Twitter, I'm at Christian Kuhn. I'm always happy to respond in ways for you, too. So, until next week, friends, may the peace of Christ be with you.